0: Fifteen, a little by twenty fifteen, a point, and the bread, 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 twenty fifteen, and the bread, Fifteen, a
1: Hey, I'm Amanda from Trifecta Fitness. We're proud to be Clarksville's new Get Fit headquarters. Trifecta Fitness is a state-of-the-art spin and strength training studio. Our spin studio is truly one of a kind in this area, complete with 20 state-of-the-art live fitness bikes and an incredible sound system. Our strength training is done in small groups Of six or fewer, and all of our strength and spin classes are scalable for every level of experience. Come see us in the heart of Clarksville, just behind Mapco, at the corner of Old Trenton Road and Wilma Rudolph Boulevard. Call us for more info at 931 542 6265 or download our Trifecta Fitness app for a full list of upcoming classes.
0: For every veteran,
2: there is a story a story about a calling to serve fight for the freedoms of the American people. And every story has a struggle, a sacrifice, and invisible wounds. Warrior Watch programs help veterans recover from PTSD and invisible wounds through exercise, nutrition, and connecting with other veteran leaders. It is estimated that 22 veterans die each day by suicide and another 30 veterans die each day by substance abuse. These are preventable deaths. Warrior Watch is committed to fighting PTSD through fitness, nutrition, and community. opportunity to support our heroes in their time of need will you join us and take action all right all right all right welcome back Fit nation. It's, it's,
0: it's, 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 it's Fit
2: nation we are a show founded by a veteran and hosted by two veterans and a military spouse. Our mission is to get people to tell their story to the world. If you're an author, share your tips with the Misfit Nation. If you're a musician or actor, our audience needs to know how they too can get into the business. Coaches, we love our coaches. Come on and share some of your tips with the Misfit Nation to help them become better versions of themselves. If you're a corporate leader or an entrepreneur, come on and share how you did it and how hard you have fought for success if you are a veteran first responder or gold star family we would love to have you come on and just share your story with the mismatch we always have time for you if you're feeling down alone or starting to see the darkness stop think about those who are around you you are not alone you will be missed if you feel like your problems will be a burden to those in your inner circle or are embarrassed dial 980 if you are a veteran take option one we need you to keep pushing forward don't make a permanent solution to a temporary problem if you're a new listener welcome to the misfit nation be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast apps and also on our youtube channel at the underscore misfit nation Subscribe and click the bell to keep you up to date with our latest episodes and all of our news. You can also find us on Heroes Media Group and About Face Radio. Now, let's get to the show. All right, all right, all right. To the Misfit Nation this Sunday night after dinner, Chad. Hopefully you got all your football in today. One more awesome game tonight. You're it's been you. a pretty good football yeah, weekend, minus Notre sure. Dame no losing on the now, last play of the game well, yesterday. The, but the Cowboys lost today, so that kind of gave us some uh, some promise and hope for the rest of the week. Uh, all right,
0: all right, all right. Last far, we Sunday night after
2: We guest You got, got all, your all football the U.S. Today, Army that a tonight. Decorated combat. You know, good, pretty good football and he has led teams in broad spectrum geographies, industries, and functions. His people focused on the style. It's a in His organizations and in and he considers
0: and
2: resides in Kansas City, but he chose to So, without further ado, let's walk innovator, uh, team builder, and problem solving to the Thanks, Rich. So great to be here. Like awesome! And awesome! So it's great to have you here. Like we said in the Marine room, room, room uh, guys, due to uh, some scheduling can't. issues and a uh, communication breakdown, it south took us two, two weeks to get here, before we did it. The <laughs> resilience <laughs> there, and so we were like we're we're talking in in you, in you had to have resilience problem. for what you did when you moved to Kansas City right at the height of the pandemic with zero to have zero one. So it's great to see you here and showing that. Due to scheduling issues, thank you. I just gave basically a two two, lost, two lost, sentence blurb about you, okay, 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 and I, I kind of there, butchered a little bit of it, trying to read ahead of myself. But like, you if did you'd like to like, go a little therapy back, the to, the the back, back, back to as far back as you want to go to your time through your time and service lost, to how we got here,
3: yeah, absolutely. So I grew up. at... I'm I'm getting some feedback on the audio. I have nothing on you. Uh,
2: anything
3: now oh so much better
2: okay
3: so much better thank you I'm sorry I was I was hearing myself talk which is like the worst thing ever for me because you know nobody wants to listen to me talk right (laughs) which I guess is a bad situation right now right so no okay um my background so I grew up in Minnesota um and uh went to college at, at the University of Wisconsin uh dropped out of school and joined the army the day after September 11th um and you know I was I was the um it was kind of before the the groundswell of of um, recruitment, and so you know I walked in and and said, "Okay, let's do this." And the recruiter said, uh, "You know, well, let me tell you about what the army has to has to offer you." And I said, "Well, let me tell you how to read a buying sign, right? Like I'm I'm here. Let's do some paperwork, right?" And so, um, you know, it, it took as as it takes for everybody. It took a few months, um, but but got in uh, in in the beginning of 2002. Uh, had, the, had the honor of putting my, my arm up and, and, and swearing the oath. And, and so I came in as an enlisted guy um, and uh, you know went to basic training and, and went out into the force and, and really enjoyed my time enlisted. Uh, eventually put in my packet and went back to school uh, and then came back on active duty um, as, as an officer. Uh, in 2007, deployed to Baghdad, was there from, from 2007 to 2009. When I got back in the summer of 2009, uh, you know, hit, kind of hit that point where it, you, you got to make a decision. And for me, the right decision at that time was, was to, was to move on and move into the private sector. Um, and really, really glad I made that decision. I think I made the right choice in my life. I'm very happy with where it turned out, but that doesn't mean that I don't, you know, every day go back and think like, well, what if, what if I had stuck around? Um, you know, I miss, I miss my guys. I'm still incredibly close with, with a lot of them. And, um, you know, it's just such a, it, it, it's, the, it's the best job that, that you'll ever have, right? Like that, that, that's, that's the joke, but like, it's not a joke. It's, it's, it's the truth. Um, so got out, went to work in, in operations leadership, which was a really standard, like a normal move. Um, I was working in transportation, which is nothing that I knew, you know, from my time in, 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 the, in, the, in the military. And um, over the course of the first couple of years, really got pretty good at the operations side of the business um, and then started moving into quality management uh figuring out how to make the operation move smoother and work better um moved from there into um eventually working for a couple other companies and then found my way into management consulting which is really just quality management writ large uh eventually left management consulting and got back into direct into industry Um, and actually what brought me to kansas city was uh that I, i came here to lead a a global logistics company um for, for three years. So I spent the last three years leading that organization. And then at the beginning of this year um, or earlier and earlier half of this year, stepped down from that role uh, and, and took a, a new role um, with a healthcare company based in, based in the Fort Worth area. So um, kind of a circuitous path, uh, but, but has had, uh, you know, I've had some time in finance, some time in sales, some time in quality consulting operations, a little bit of everything since, since getting out.
2: So, so you just keep building your toolbox, just like you did in the military.
3: Yeah, I think it's, it's, uh, I, I've, <laughs> I've had this comment with, with some people before, like the, the, the two-year rotation thing, right. That, that like we all get, we all get used to a uniform. <laughs> like, I, I guess I just, I just kind of stuck with it as I got out, right. <laughs> like every, every couple of years, get itchy and look for a new role.
2: You gotta keep rolling. You gotta keep everything new. If, if it's not new, then you keep So Yeah. You gotta Keep learning. And growing. That's the best thing to say. there. Oh, what was your job in the military?
3: So I was a 13 Fox when I was, uh, when I was enlisted, I was a Ford observer, um, totally by happenstance and completely by luck. I ended up as an artillery officer, um, which was fantastic. Uh, because you know, when I got to OBC, I already had gone to like half of it. I I knew the observed fire stuff and, uh, which was great. And I got to focus all my energy on gunnery, which, uh, if you saw my gunnery scores, you'd realize that, man, he really needed to focus all of his energy on gunnery. Um, but, uh. (laughs) No, it was, it was, uh, I was an artillery officer. So then when I got, when I got back out, um, uh, into the force, I was, uh, I spent most of my time as a fire support officer and that's what I deployed at, was a, as was an FSO for an armor company. Um, and so we were, we were downtown Baghdad, weren't, weren't hanging many rounds. And so I did most of my time, uh, focused on civil affairs, intelligence development, uh, kinetic targeting. We ran a, a fourth platoon out of the company. And so I, I ran that platoon, um, Kind of the 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 fullback, right? Of playing playing a little bit and everything, uh, and and getting my fingers and, and all kinds of stuff around the around the outpost.
2: Definitely, especially in Baghdad, you you couldn't really push your push buttons and uh, target things there without getting a lot of collateral damage, since everything was so yeah. close to close to each other in Baghdad. So exciting, yeah. <laughs> so exciting, yeah. So talk life becomes uh, hell on earth for you. So at least you got to get out sometimes and do. The other jobs that you mentioned, like civil affairs, intelligence gathering, yeah. and uh, actually seeing, seeing the world from a different view besides the Blue Force Tractor or the Falcon View, whatever you're using at that time. Absolutely. Definitely. Uh, yeah. I, I train a lot of 13 series here at Fort Campbell, and uh, they're always fun to work with because they're first sergeants and commanders, sergeant majors, all get involved in the training. So it, you can feel the the pride in them because, you know, it, it's called field artillery for a reason. They're always in the field, and I'm sure, sure. you felt that the whole time. And now I mean Absolutely. now like you you're talking about your austere life when you moved back into this house with no furniture, so that you had to be comfortable. That had to be way more comfortable being in the field field artillery. It's it's yeah,
3: once you once you've had the opportunity to sleep on the back of a brad, like the the ability to you know have to sit in a lawn chair and watch a football game, like it's it's all right. It's it's workable. It's pleasing. It's <laughs> pleasing, that's that's the right <laughs> word for it. Yes, pleasing.
0: <laughs> but no, I so I got this to... point
3: of your point of like, like being in the field though, like that's, that's the best part of it. Right. Like I, I miss those, I miss those 5.00 AM days where, you know, we, we try to get out of the motor pool before people started running and and get back onto the, into the training area and get on the Hill as soon as we could. Like those were fun days. And, and, you know, I I think that the dopamine rush that you get from those types of things, like that's really what I've been chasing, you know, in the, in the civilian world, I think for the,
2: you know, for the last 15 years. And I think as long as you keep that hunger and keep that uh... I guess that hustle going to keep you pushing forward. Everything will be new to you all the time, and you'll keep keep that freshness and stay motivated to keep moving forward. I totally agree, Rich. Totally agree. Right. You said get up on the hill, so I'm guessing you were at Fort Riley, and uh, no. So well, I was
3: actually at uh, I was in Carson for most of my time. Well, everything's a hill uh, there, so everything's <laughs> a hill there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> It's just it a bunch look. of hills in a in an impact area that seems to, set, to get set on fire every time you go out there. So yeah. That way if, you can stay out there
2: longer. <laughs> that course. way you can stay out there all day long. <laughs> yeah. My current job now, I get to go out to the field and, and train soldiers, but then I get to go home at night. So I don't have to sleep out there unless it's a crazy exercise. But then I sleep in a truck anyway, I don't sleep on the ground anymore. But yeah. I still get the I get to see the camaraderie, get to feel the dirt and and smell the soldiers, even though I'm clean, they're, they're still horribly dirty. And uh, you can still get that all the all the the essence of the field without having the to be totally in yeah, essence they feel you can bottle that stuff and sell it to I, people. I was gonna but, say,
3: yeah, you can get that at the store, right?
2: I mean you're in you're in business Ode- and stuff, you can do this stuff, sell it to people. Uday oh, day soldier. Uday Joe. Soldier. <laughs> Ode Joe. Yeah. Uday Joe, yeah. This is Ode this Jones. is your ten this is a ten day age, this is dirty, go for it. <laughs> Yeah, I think they sell the thirty stuff. They call it
3: pepper spray, though. I think if I'm if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> I think so. It has a picture of Taylor Swift on it. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. So, in yeah, your
2: so. time, in the service, and now on the corporate side, you, I'm sure yeah. you've seen multiple different types of leaders, and we're able to take notes and say uh, that that dude looks good, or that lady looks good, uh, and build your leadership style. Is how many leaders in the military and corporate world have you combined to make you? Oh, Who's your top three, probably?
3: Um, so the, the, the
2: guy that I served under in Iraq was, was is actually the number
3: one. I think he's, he's the best leader I've ever worked with. Uh, we're still incredibly close friends. Um, I'm actually flying out this weekend to go see a football game with him. And, and like, we're, we're still really, really tight. Um, but I think what, what made his leadership style so exceptional was uh, he was really, really, really tough right up until the point when he trusted you, at which point he went very hands off and like it it was a really good it was a really good example to set for how to evaluate people but also how to how to balance that that like necessity of um, you got to get the job done and it's got to be done perfectly right like there there isn't an exception you know 98% isn't 100% and like that was that was such an adamant thing and then there's the other the other side of it which is like when you've got it like I trust you completely Like truly complete trust. And that was that getting to see both of those sides was such an incredibly valuable thing for me, especially at that point in my career. I didn't appreciate it enough. I didn't appreciate it at the time. I I certainly felt, you know, under the thumb on that first part. Right. And, and like, I think, I think that's a natural reaction. And so what that's given me, um, is, is one, the, the realization that that's so necessary, but two, um, the recognition of how important it is to, to properly contextualize that for, for people, right. To be able to get them to understand, I'm not doing this. Like I'm not, I'm not kicking you in the behind because like, I think you want it. I'm kicking you in behind because I know it's the, it's the path to me letting you run like completely unfettered. Right. So he, he was an exceptional leader. We're, we're very close. As I mentioned. Um, another one that I, that I had an opportunity to work with um, who just unbelievable respect for, um, is there's there's a there's a woman that I worked for when I was in um, when I was in finance for a while, and one of the things that I was so impressed with about her was her hiring philosophy and the way she she amassed talent. And I think it it for her especially, um, you know, a woman in a in a financial context, it it is still you know that's still a very male dominated industry, and and she was totally comfortable. With the idea of putting incredibly talented people around her, to the point where she would she would actively seek out people who could do things she couldn't. Right, like she, she was very very obsessed with the idea that she should be the worst person on the team, and and I always I was always struck by how much confidence and so how much um, that that quiet professionalism that that brings. Right, to be able to say like I want you on my team because you can run circles around me. You. You're just so much better than me at this thing. And I can't wait to welcome you in. And then when those people, and they did, you know, would flower and grow and move on to other parts of the organization, she never kept them back. She never held them down. And she never said like, well, if this person leaves, my team gets worse. So I'm gonna sort of submarine this process or like she never did any of it, right? She, she had this this belief that like, she could just go find more great people. And she did. And, and like, it was almost constant. There was there was just a steady flow of just world-class talent coming in. And I always remember thinking like, how, how, one, one was like, how does she do it, right? And I think the way she did it was through incredible authenticity. Um, but two, what a gift to give to your people to, to basically say, look, I'm never gonna stand in your way. I'm never gonna take your ideas. I'm never gonna, like, I'm going to always be there to serve you rather than the other way around. And I thought like, that that's such a, it's such a powerful thing. The third one, um, is actually, uh, so I mentioned I'm, I'm working for a healthcare company now, and this is my second go round with this company. Uh, I spent time with them. I spent about a year and a half with them, um, before my last role and was recruited away. I had no intention of ever leaving the company. Um, and the guy who founded the company, who is, who is now my, my boss and business partner, um, we've become very good friends. Uh, and and I think he's probably the third one who's really shaped a lot of, of how I lead and who I am. Um, and the big thing that, that I think I've taken from him um, has been this, this idea of, of the malleability of people and the ability for people to grow. And, you know, when I, when I first worked with him, I remember we sat down, it was maybe a week or two after I started, and he said, like, you just see people as they are. And I said, yes, that's absolutely true. That's, that's how I see people is as they are. And he said, like, there's got to be a part where you can also see what they can be. And and like that is the unlock for you to become this incredibly like inspirational and transformational leader. And I said, like, yeah, that's true. But but I see them as they are. And and we kind of argued about it. and And, you know, there was a part where he just kept pouring that into me and pouring that into me. And eventually one day what I realized was he was doing for me what he was asking me to do for others.
1: Right? he was saying
3: like you can be better than what you are. You're great today, and you're you're effective, and you're capable, and you're a good leader today. And you have another gear. And I just I'm just going to keep showing up in the most positive way imaginable to help you find it. Right, I'm just not going to give up on it. And so I started to to you know steal little things from him and tweak things a little bit. And and what I found was um, that he was totally right, and I was wrong. And, and it's not enough to just see people as they are. You have to recognize who they are because you've got to be clear-eyed. You always have to have that clear-eyed assessment of what somebody can be. But if you don't see what else they can be, if you don't see the, the things that they can't see for themselves, then you're not leading. You're just managing. And, and I think that's the piece that, you know, I, I, I attribute so much of, of my success the last few years to, to, to being willing to listen to that from him and being willing to give him the opportunity to help me, um, and so, you know, now that I'm back working with him uh, again, it's it's so much fun because I think he's getting to he's getting to see the impact of a lot of those decisions and a lot of that time, and and you know, we've talked about it before, and, and every every so often he'll just kind of shake his head and go like That's 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 the new you, right?" And I go, "Yeah, that's that's the new me, right?" And that's and that's fun. Um, so I think those three really have have kind of defined. The, the leadership style that I have.
2: Nice. And I think that the way you described all three of them are amazing. The last one, especially, is something that my first platoon sergeant taught me. When He, he would smoke us at the end of every day in order to be released. Every day at the end of, end of the day, we'd have to do pull-ups, uh, push-ups, uh, dips, and then listen to him give us a mentorship every day. And I was like you. I thought it was just garbage, hot garbage every day. And then at the end of our, our, when we'd get our counseling from him, he's he's like, I'm training you to take my place. And that's what you need to train the next person to take your place. And that stuck with me from the time I came into, met Humberto Lopez in 1993 to when I retired in 2015, my job is to make the next me every time. And every person I met was like, like you, I look at what they are now and I had to see what they what they had before I can see what they could do is their potential. And I think that's the thing a lot of leaders lose is they, they get that little fishbowl thing. They see what the person has right here and not really what they can do out here. If you can release yeah. the thing, a lot of, I think in this, in this corporate world, a lot of people feel if they train someone to do better than them, they lose their job. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's big cross. I and mean, you you going to run into some that are not like that because they don't have that fear because they know they're strong enough in their in their convictions and in their leadership style to stay there. But you cannot have that fear to train someone to be better than you. I think you've got to have
3: a, like it, there's a um, I forget where I where I saw it, but it's the you know what if what if we train our people to be great and they and they leave, right? And then the other person says, well, what if we don't do it and they stay, right? And like right. that's really what it comes down to is is you should want your people to be better than you. You should want their and and. I would also argue like I don't think I'm the, the guidepost, right? Like I don't think I'm the the marking stick. If I look at if I look at the people on my team, I want them to be the best them they can be. And if that if that surpasses me in an area, great. And if it doesn't surpass me in an area, that's okay too. And if they're already past me in that area, that doesn't mean that I stop developing them. That doesn't mean I stop investing in them. That doesn't mean I stop challenging them. It's about them maximizing who they are and what they can bring to the organization. And when you really think about it, like that's that's kind of the next evolution of what what basic combat leadership is, right? And, and basic combat leadership is about massing fires. It's about being able to to create effective outcomes through the utilization of multiple assets, right? That's what people leadership is too. It's getting the most out of somebody so that they can contribute to the to the larger uh, the larger organization. And I think when you when you really start to look at it as as not just a part of your job, but like the totality of your job, right? And, and the, the importance of developing your people. You know, I, I, when people say like, well, we need to work on our culture. Like, no, you don't. You don't need to work on your culture because that's not a thing you can work on. Your culture is just an, it's just an accretion of a million decisions, yeah. right? If, if, if you wanna work on your culture, ask yourself how often you're picking up the trash. Ask yourself how often you're giving feedback that's positive and feedback that's negative. Ask yourself how often you're having honest conversations with people who ask you questions in an earnest way. Ask yourself how often you're inviting subordinates to meetings that they don't belong in so that they can see the conversations and understand the way the business operates at a level above what they're accustomed to -to day-to-day because that's how you build your culture. That's how you create an organization where people want to lean in and people want to be more than they can and more than they can do today and they, and they they want to stick around in an organization like that, even when they have the opportunity to leave. Right? Because because they see it as this is they see it as the organization is here for me. And the truth is the organization is here for them in service of a greater objective. And I and I think that if I look at the, the great leaders that I've worked with, they they none of them have ever truly articulated those exact points, but they've all had that exact philosophy. Right. In some form or fashion. And I think getting to see it in a different in a different way, see it manifest itself in, in a lot of different areas um, has been just one of the, the greatest gifts I can possibly have imagined for myself.
2: Definitely, And I think the, the point you brought about having the person come to a meeting they are not supposed to be in at all, that yeah. person may, may sit at their desk and question in their head, why is Clint making me do this? Why do I why does he always ask me to do this stupid thing? And I, I hate it. You take him to that meeting and all of a sudden the light bulb was on. This is why. Now I understand is why right. when he comes out of that meeting angry and tells me something, it has to be done because it happens there. It's not him just making up something, spinning a wheel at his desk and doing a digital wheel. Today I'm going to mess with him this way. No, it all happens. Right. So everything happens for a reason, unless you're just a chaotic person. But most people who are in leadership positions are not. Right. Right.
3: I also think it gives them it gives them so much more confidence in the decisions that get made because they see they, they see a little bit of, of how the sausage gets made. Right. And they right. and they see, you know, I, I remember I, I invited somebody to one of my leadership meetings once. And afterward, he asked, like, like, did you guys was that a show? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, like, you guys argue a lot. Like that was That was an, And I said, yeah, that's, that's why we have the meeting. Right. Like we, we, nobody, nobody benefits from a bunch of people sitting in a room going like, yeah, that's a good idea. And I'll nod their heads. Right. That's not beneficial. What's beneficial yeah. is us all pointing fingers at each other and saying, like, that's the worst idea you've had this week. And you've had some bad ones. Right. And like <laughs> get getting to the place where, where we all can come to a good idea and really poking and prodding it. And I think when he saw that and understood, one, how confident we all were with ourselves and how comfortable we all were with each other to be able to have those conversations. And two, the level of scrutiny that decisions went through before we made them, I think it gave him a a lot more confidence um, that the decisions we were making were good decisions and that we weren't missing things and that we weren't skipping steps, right? Like that's that's the real benefit of it. And like the idea that I would go through, the, the idea that I would spend the next day thinking he didn't tell everyone else exactly what he saw, well, that's insanity you know that as soon as I walked away from his desk, it turned into, hey, everybody, come over here. I'm going to tell you what it, you know, like those guys yell at each other, right? It's like, awesome. And,
0: and it's awesome. <laughs> and it's not, exactly. exactly.
3: And, and, and I think that like that becomes so infectious and it, and it just infuses the culture with this, with this trust of they're doing the things that they say they're doing. And that's how we know this is going to work, right? That's how when, when, we ask people to, to, to take it on faith. And when you ask people to say, look, I'm, I'm making a call and I need you to trust me with it. That's how you get that trust. Definitely. Just, you, let pe-
2: you let them see behind the curtain. And it's, it's you can compare it to your military time where a leader would tell you to do something and they would do it first. I would never tell a soldier to do something I wouldn't do. I wouldn't sure. say, go outside, go out on patrol because I'm going to sit here on the TV and watch you do it. I'm going to go out with right. you and we're going to yep. hang out. We're going to meet the locals. We're going to do some stuff. But if, if yeah. the leader says go out there and do it and doesn't go with you, you lose that trust right away. And it's the same thing you're doing, just doing it in a cleaner, different way in, in the corporate world.
3: Yeah, that's, a, that's absolutely it. It's, it's the same behavior, cleaner shoes. That's all it is.
2: Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure it's easier to keep talent that way than it is to, to say, hey, go take trash out every Tuesday at 2 o'clock and I'll watch you do it. Sure.
3: And, and, and the other the other part of that is like is that fun? Like is, yeah. is that an enjoyable is that an enjoyable existence to to like point at things and go you do this and I won't? I don't think it's fun. I don't think it's, it's fun. I don't know any yeah, I mean it, it the the closer you get to the to the action, to the actual activity, like the more fun life generally is. Right? I don't want to I don't want to supervise the guy who's supervising the guy Who's supervising the guy? Who's supervising the guy? Who's doing the thing? Screw that! I'll skip all those steps and I'll go do it with him. That's more fun.
2: You can see that in oh, any we're... union, any union job. You can see that. <laughs> <laughs> drive yes. down the highway.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yes. Drive down the highway. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah like all those supervisors really exist to get you to stop doing this stuff. Right. (laughs) There's the, the, Hey man, you're just, you're just following this up. Please let them get the job done. Right. And like, okay, there's value in that there's value in being told that. Um, But no, I, I think that, I think that the, 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 the most enjoyable part of leadership is really getting to connect with people and create, like see them create more for themselves. And you can't do that from, you know, bird's
2: eye view. You can't do that from sitting behind a desk. You got to get out and get dirty. Exactly. And, and those are lessons yeah. uh, a lot of people don't get to learn if they don't wear boots and suits. But if you just come up through the corporate ladder, you can watch a lot of stuff. If you, if you start at the bottom and work your way all the way up, no matter what your education base is, you'll see the best things to do along the way. What differentiates that leader like we talked about? Uh, how is leadership optimized in the best way? But then you also see how leaders, if they do make a mistake, if they, if they fall down, what they do next. And yeah. uh, that's the question I'm going to pose to you now. What was your, how did your, has your biggest failure been and how did you react to get to where you are now?
3: Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that, you know, the biggest, um, some of the biggest failures I've had have been, have been decisions. Um, But I think the, the, the biggest failures are not recognizing the decisions, right? They're, 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 um, they're choosing it again the next day. And I think that's, that's the, the biggest, the big lesson that I've learned from, from, uh, really the last 15 years. But I think even beyond that is, is the importance of, of really just rejecting the sunk costs idea, right? The idea that like, because I did it yesterday, like, no, that's not true. Um, you know, if, if, if I was, I was having, this is so funny. I was having dinner with a friend of mine on Friday and we were talking about, he does, he does a lot of CEO coaching. And so he was, he was picking my brain. And then we were, we were just, you know, talking about a bunch of stuff. And he said, you know, I'm so, I'm so surprised at the number of CEOs who like get really, they, they hire somebody and then they get really pissed and they don't like that person anymore. And I said, yeah. And he goes like, you hired him, man. Like it's, it's your choice. And I said, yeah. And the issue isn't that you hired him the first time. The issue is that you hired him every single morning, right? Because because every day you have a choice to choose to have that person on your team or not. And so I think that you know if I look at the the great failures that I've had, the big the biggest one, and I think this is you know kind of top of the list. Well, not kind of, it is. Um, I looked at the the logistics market in um, in early twenty one. I guess it was. <clears throat> late 20 well mid 21 it was really spiking and so we we made a bet as an organization that it was going to continue to grow and that we weren't going to see an economic downturn and the truth is we were wrong right we haven't seen the the financial recession but there's absolutely been a freight recession and so we we recognized that um in in 22 and it was really tough for us to realize we had gotten and not we i'm gonna i'm not gonna say we i had gotten that wrong because, yeah, my team was involved in that decision, but at the end of the day, it was my call. And and I got it wrong. And we hired people out of a belief that we thought the industry was going to go one way, and it went a different way. And so we had to have some really, you know, um, the worst conversations imaginable, right? We had to have the toughest conversations you're going to have in business, which are, I don't have a seat for you anymore, right? And um, it was awful. Like, it's, it's, you know, you don't you don't sleep. and you should, right? You don't eat and you shouldn't. You you feel awful and you should feel awful. And I told one of the people on my team who was, she was trying to find a way to, you know, execute it and and like trying to reduce the, you know, how do we, how do we maybe get around this? And and I said, look, at the end of the day, like, it's not going to get better. It's not going to be good. It's not going to be fun. There's nothing about this that's enjoyable. We have to go let some people go. And like, that's just the reality of things. And so we have to do it with all the dignity that we can possibly muster. And we have to give them all of the things that we, we want to give them and take care of them as best we can. But this is what has to get done. And that was a tough decision. Right. And that was a, that was a mistake. Um, on my part. And I think the, the hardest part of that mistake was, was that it was just a bad guess. It was just a bad bet. Like we got to a place where we said we can either go left or go right. We chose to go left and we should have gone right. And like, that's just the way it works. And I think the, you know, back to my point about kind of the sunk costs, I think the real sin in that, the real challenge in that, the real pain in that would have been if we would have continued down that path, right? If we would have just said like, well, we're not going to, we're not going to confront the reality of things. We're not going to accept the reality of things. And that, that's, that's a tough thing to do. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think there's, there's, you know that's probably the biggest the biggest mistake I've made. Um, you know, in in that regard, and it and it it will always haunt me.
2: And I think uh, for every leader in business, when the people management is the hardest part, the human side of business is the hardest part. Absolutely, so every every leader out there, because you know yeah. that Johnny and Jill have a family. Johnny and Jill have bills, but if the company's not making money, you have to make yeah. that hard. That heart-wrenching decision to let Johnny or
0: Jill go. At
2: yep. that point, it comes down to who do we have who which one's better and which one can they keep for how much longer? And then it yep. comes down to that. It's a tough decision
3: it's a tough decision. I, I will also say that I think it is a it's it's where having such an exceptionally talented team is both harder and easier. Right? Harder because these are great people, but easier because they they can do the same calculus, right? they 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 know they know what the truth is and and when you when you have to have that i remember the the first person that day cuz i you know made it a point that all of our executive team had the conversations ourselves we didn't you know we don't outsource that stuff and and the first person i had the conversation with that day he came in and he gave me a big hug and he said i get it man i understand and i said like i can't believe like this is like thank you for making this like easier on me right but like this is making it much harder obviously but like thanks for being such a pro about it and he said hey i gotta have this conversation once today you gotta keep having it yep and i thought like okay and you know he he landed on his feet i think he was you know out of job out of a job for an hour and a half right like the guy was such a pro i mean not it wasn't an hour and a half it was you know a couple of days but i mean like it was he was such a pro right and (laughs) and um But I remember, you know, we traded a couple of messages and it was and it was just like, look, I get it. This is this is the way of things. But thanks for being such a pro about it. Thanks for being such a, you know, treat me with so much respect on it. And I thought that's that's the that's the answer. Right. Is is whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's whether it works, whether it doesn't You just treat people with just a deep abiding respect and and
2: everything works out um, one way or another. And that comes down to a testament to your leadership towards them prior to that point. If if you were that uh, that hard charging leader that just always rammed it down their thro- throats up until that point and then let them go, it would have been a different situation. But since you had a, a leadership style that was open and honest with them the whole time, it probably yeah. made the situation a lot better.
3: Yeah, I, I thought so just now that's a really good point. Like I think that that's a really good point. Um, those decisions that we made early on and the way we interacted with people probably did have a huge impact for that. And, and that, that really does make a lot of sense. Um, yeah. I, I think about, I think about leadership and I've shared this with people, like it's really a three part model, right? It's people, culture, and process. If you have exceptional people and you like fanatically protect your culture and you define your processes effectively, you can create success. You can, sus- you can sustain success and then you can accelerate success. and, and, that's it and and the 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 first one getting and and retaining exceptional people that's that's the most important thing um at least in the businesses that i've been a participant in right it's it's um and the ones i've led and and you
2: know they're 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 all people businesses that's our product if you build it they will come if you build that place yeah. they want to work they will they'll tell two friends and they'll tell two friends and they'll all want to come on board and that's what she, your ultimate goal is to have a long line of people that want to come in and not a long line of people running out
3: absolutely absolutely i I talk with people about um, I, I shared this with with actually a lot of people that companies I've led, but you know I'm, I'm a huge believer in transparency and I'm a huge believer in like, really radical transparency, like telling people things that they're not even expecting to hear about the performance of the company, the status of the organization, all of that. And so when somebody asked me once like, what the secret to great culture is, I said, it's locked doors. And they, they, you're what? That doesn't make any sense. You're a transparent guy. I said, absolutely. But it's about locking two doors. It's about locking the front door and the back door. And so what I mean by that is you lock the front door and you say, we will not allow everybody in. We just won't. Right? Like there, there are people who are not good enough to be one of us. And we put them through a very rigorous hiring process. It's very difficult to get in the front door. And when your people see how how locked that front door is, right? When they see the number of locks you have in the front door and the fact that you keep them tight, um, they become protective of that front door as well. Yes. And they say, they say, like, hang on a second, are you good enough to be one of us? Are you good enough to be one of us? And then once you make it through that door, they immediately welcome those people. Because they know they have what it takes. Now you have a group of people inside the room who are even more protective of the front door, and who are much more—they're—they're um, they're much quicker at assimilating new people who come in, right? The back door—you just say good people don't leave. Like we just don't let it happen, right? Now look, people are going to leave. It's going to happen. They're going to go on. Like they're going to find something great. And when that happens, we celebrate it and, and like we mourn it for ourselves and celebrate it for them. But by and large, like I don't want people leaving for lateral moves. I don't want people leaving because they're unhappy in the, in the room. And so when somebody starts to kind of move toward that back door, the group pulls them back right, and says, no, 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 you, you might be unhappy. We're going to do something about that. This might be something that bothers you. We're going to do something about that. We're going to keep the group together inside the room. You have the front door lock. You have the back door lock. And what you end up with is you end up with a group inside the room that almost becomes self-policing. Right. They they when they interview somebody, they ask them tougher questions in interviews and they really do become protective of the organization. When somebody comes in they're they're the wrong fit. They raise their hand right away and they go, this person's not the right fit. We made a mistake. We missed. Rather than saying, eh, maybe it'll work out. When you keep the back door locked. Right. That same group of people. Looks out for each other. They take care of each other. When somebody's having a tough day, they don't go. Oh, "That guy's having a tough day. Stay away. They go. That guy's having a tough day. Let's go pull him back right and those two locked doors create an exceptional culture inside um and i i am there's a lot of things that i i you know figuring out and i'll I'll try one way and try another way and kind of you know not strong opinions held loosely right like that's that's very much it this is one that strong opinion held very tightly right those locked doors that's the key
2: definitely and and once they start self-policing it's kind of like the e4 mafia in the military it's they beat, the they yeah. weed out people for you. They shoot They push the bad out. They keep the bad from coming in to, and push the bad that's in and out. And all you gotta totally do agree. is stir the ship or steer the ship the right way, and hopefully yeah. you have the right ship uh, the right ship belt at that point.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. That's that's couldn't agree with you more.
2: So, Clinton's been a great chat. How can someone get in contact with you to do what we're doing right now? Have you on their show? Maybe pick your brain for their organization as a consultant or maybe have yeah. you train them to be a better leader along the way.
3: Absolutely, Rich. Yeah. So the best way to get in touch with me is, is clintrush.com. Um, and, and that's the, that's the easiest way uh, or find me on LinkedIn. Uh, those are the two, the two easiest paths to find me. Um, it's R-U-S-C-H. Uh, so
2: clintrush.com or Clint Rush on LinkedIn. Those are the two easiest ways to find me. Awesome. And the website is going across the, the bottom of the screen right now for those of you watching on YouTube or uh, rumble. And if you're going to list this on the podcast app, it will be in the show notes. So all you all have to do is click it or just listen to him, spell it. And it's pretty easy. It's his name. It's obvious. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> just click and then go uh, Clint. I'm going to let you go after one more question. Top three leadership books you've read.
3: Oh, top three leadership
2: books. Okay. Number
3: one is hard thing about hard things. Uh, the hard thing about hard things is the best business book that's ever been written. Uh, I expect every person who works for me to read it. I read it once a month. Um, it's fabulous. If you're not comfortable with salty language, uh, it's not the right book for you. I suspect, and maybe I'm wrong, but I suspect your listeners probably going to be okay with salty language. Um, so yeah, yeah, I would imagine. Um, so that's, that's number one. Uh, number two, um, I think "We Were Soldiers Once and Young" is a great book. Obviously, uh, I think there's a lot of people who have, who have, you know, certainly recommended that. Um, but I think that's a that's a really, really good one. And then I think the third one uh, for me is is a book called uh, "Thinking and Bets," and it's it's uh, Annie Duke, who's a former uh, professional poker player. Um, she wrote a book about how probability can help you make better decisions. And I think leadership is largely decision making. Um, and so this idea of using uh, Bayesian statistics and the idea of adjusting your priors as new information comes in. Um, it's all something we understand intuitively, um, but she really breaks it down in a way that, that it, gives, it gives leaders a really good, um, almost mathematical model that you can use uh, to make better decisions. And if you
2: make better decisions,
3: um, leadership gets a lot easier. Definitely. Definitely.
2: Clint, thanks again for taking some of your time tonight on Sunday night when you could be sitting in your house watching watching football on your on your actual furniture now, and uh, <laughs> on your big screen TV watching football. And I'll let you get back to that now and uh, have a couple beers and watch uh, whoever's playing tonight. I don't even know actually right now, but I'm sure it'll be a great game, and uh, I look forward to seeing all the great things you do in the future. Hey, thanks so much, Rich. Thanks for having me on and, and really appreciate it. Uh, good to get to chat and, and
3: uh, hope to talk to you soon. Have a good night. All right. Take care, Rich. Thanks.
1: This message is from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Did you serve in the military? If so, you can obtain a free lifetime pass to more than 2,000 federal recreation sites. These sites are located across more than 400 million acres of public lands, including national parks, wildlife refuges, and forests. The lands host activities to fit any lifestyle hiking, biking, fishing, camping, and much more. Gold Star families are also eligible for these free lifetime passes. Plus, they cover entrance fees for a driver and all passengers in a car, or up to three additional adults at sites that charge per person. Obtaining one is easy. Just go to the National Park Service website, nps.gov, or the National Park Service app.
0: Thanks for checking us out and being a part of the Misfit Nation.
2: Don't forget to visit our website at TheMisfitNation.com. That's TheMisfitNation.com. Check out all of our past episodes and get some of that great Misfit Nation. As always, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling, because we are Misfit Nation.